Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And today... Doing his first in-depth, long-form interview since the Guns N' Roses reunion tour started in 2016, Duff McKagan returns to talk as Jericho. GNR are on a press gag order uh, since the reunion started. They've done no interviews. They've spoken to nobody. Uh, they've uh, explained nothing to anybody. But Duff decided he wanted to come hang out with me on Talk as Jericho. We have so much fun whenever we do uh, the show. And we're talking about the reunion, what the rehearsals were like before the tour got started, uh, how the shows have been going. And as you know, this year is the 30th anniversary of the classic Appetite for Destruction album. So we're talking about the making of that record, where some of the song ideas came from, the riffs, Duff sharing some cool info about what inspired the guitar and bass licks, even lyrics. Duff's also talking about the early Guns N' Roses tour, how they ended up on the road with the cult. We did this interview exactly 30 years after I first saw Guns N' Roses in 1987 in Winnipeg opening for the cult when uh, Duff was still walking through the crowd uh, trying to scam change from people to make some money. How the crowds literally blew up after Sweet Child of Mine was released a few months after that. Duff's got great stories about producer Mike Klink how he started working with Guns N' Roses because nobody else would. And if you're wondering about Duff's chemistry with original drummer Steven Adler and how they locked in uh, as a tight rhythm section, Duff's going to tell you about that as well. He's also going to tell you what he and Izzy did to Steven and his drum kit in those early days. Wait till you hear it. A hilarious story. So many funny stories from Duff McKagan and so many more funny stories from uh, my fourth book, No is a Four-Letter Word. It came out uh, this week, and you can get it at Amazon at Amazon.com slash shop slash I am Jericho. It's a self-help book that basically I put together featuring the 20 principles to help all you sexy beast talk as Jericho fans achieve all your dreams. The Gene Simmons principle. Always look like a star. The Vince McMahon principle: work hard, then work harder. The Brian Pillman principle: if you want to do something, you got to do something. Uh, do something different. Uh, so the Paul Stanley principle: eliminate negativity. The Chris Jericho principle: believe in yourself. The Ronnie James Dio principle: uh, give everyone their moment. So many uh, great uh, thoughts and lessons that I have learned over the years, and that en- have enabled me to achieve all of my goals and make all my dreams come true. And they're all encapsulated in "no" is a four-letter word. The press tour. Uh, continues on and I am in Los Angeles uh, tonight doing a book signing at Barnes and Noble at the Grove 7 p.m. if you're in LA and you want to say hello and get your book signed that is on a a Wednesday night uh, 7 o'clock at Barnes and Noble at the Grove come say hi come uh, get a get a copy of Noah's a four-letter word signed and uh, tell me about how uh, how your life has been impacted by this book I'm telling you you're going to love it and uh, the signings have been great thanks to everyone who's been coming out I'm so glad to meet all you guys and sign some stuff for you and I'm so glad to bring you 
an exclusive Guns N' Roses interview. Duff McKagan back on Talk is Jericho. And we're going to get right into the Guns N' Roses reunion. But first, I want to know what you guys think of the A&E uh, TV show, Leah Remini, Scientology and the Aftermath. It is absolutely insane. It's so riveting. I hope you guys have been watching. I know I have. And this is actually season two. I binge watched the first season. And this second season is proving to be just as fascinating. Ten new episodes that follow Leah, along with high-level former Scientology executives, church members, as they delve deep into the shocking stories of abuse, heartbreak, uh, disconnection, harassment experienced by those who left the church and are now speaking publicly about their experiences. Riveting, riveting stuff. Uh, Leah continues her quest to give a voice to the victims of the Church of Scientology. Uh, They are bullies in a lot of ways, but she is the brave face helping others speak up and overcome their experiences. And in this new season, the series is exploring accounts of former members whose lives have been significantly impacted by the church's practices. Leah Remini is helping people take action. She's turning survivors into fighters. She's revealing truth. She's seeking justice, and she's doing it on uh, Leah Remini's Scientology in the Aftermath. You can watch the first season online on demand and on the A&E app, and then you can watch season two every Tuesday night, 9 Eastern, 8 Central on A&E. Trust me, you do not want to miss this show. It is uh, is so uh, sobering, and it's a very uh, very much um, a riveting show, and I recommend it 100%. Go check it out now. Leah Remini's Scientology in the Aftermath on A&E. Do it now. Talk is Jericho. Hold on a second. I have to turn this power strip on. Sorry. I just spit in my own room and then I apologize to Jericho. So we're we're in Canada and you were noticing that everybody says sorry all the time, right? Yeah. uh, They just do. It's a cute. It's like. um, It's a reaction. It's just like an instinct. Sorry. Sorry. It's like in America we might say like, okay. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you, totally, you don't even notice you say it. Okay, <laughs> totally, totally. So we, we we were hanging out last night here, uh, and it's super funny because um, I have a show in town, uh, like a spoken word show, and super coincidental that Guns N' Roses is playing the night before, mm-hmm. and even more coincidental that we're staying in the same hotel on the same floor. Is it coincidental? <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I was thinking Duff's going to think that I was like following you guys or something. But the guy who set me up here was like, "I got you. Uh, I got you on the same floor as Guns N' Roses." And I was like, "Are you kidding me? This is great!" So, <laughs> we're, like we're literally down the road. Like three yeah, I think we're on. Uh, I this would be my floor. Yeah, and I I think. Uh, I don't know. You guys have this is literally your floor. So like the other guys are on other floors of this place. I don't know. Wait, well, we do get like. Kind of the same rooms, uh-huh. so it'll be three floors in a row. We'll be one on top of each other. Oh, so, so like slash is eighteen. Well, we can what say I, this because by the time this airs, we're not here anymore. So we're in room nine twenty three. That's the yeah. room that Duff was in. Mm-hmm. So slash nineteen. Sorry, nineteen. So slash should be eighteen. Whatever or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Could be. But we were hanging out last night in the lounge. Yeah. And we were talking about on how the nineteenth floor, on the nineteenth floor, floor lounge, in the lounge of the oh. Fairmont Hotel in Winnipeg. We're given all the information because at this point in time, which I call the Fancyton Suites. Any place we stay is always the Fancyton. And I'm so stupid that when you said you're staying at the Fancyton Suites, I googled Fancyton Suites. <laughs> <laughs> There's no such place. Where is it? There's no the, such place. The Fancy Pants Suite. <laughs> but we were here last night, and your uh, your is he like your bodyguard? Your your assistant? He uh, security, yeah. security, right? Mm-hmm. Which obviously, you know, you got to have being in Guns N' Roses with your own floor. But he was freaking out that that I saw you guys. So um, yeah, so Tadao uh, is uh, my security guy, and we 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 roll together. We 
every place we, I go. Mm-hmm. I go to the gym with them. I go. We've just become really kind of close because mm-hmm. of it. It's a good thing we kind of pair up. Okay, he's yeah. very quiet. I can be quiet, but I'm really not so yeah. quiet. You're an outgoing guy. I'm outgoing. Yeah. He's he's not, but he's really funny. And the the, the islanders, the Polynesians, they have a really um, I don't want to generalize them all, but but they kind of have this this really easy island gait mm-hmm, about mm-hmm, them. Mm-hmm. You know, this whole style. But uh, Chris Jericho walks in the the 19th floor lounge last night at 11:30, whatever it was, and Sadao, who I've never seen, kind of freak out, and him freaking out again is very low key. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I only knew he was freaking out because I know him so well. But he freaked out because Chris Jericho walked in. He was like, <laughs> I could tell he was like, oh, oh. Because, yeah, like you say, he didn't really say anything. Mm-mm. And then no. we took a picture together, and he posted He's like, I was with the legendary Chris. Like, legendary, right? But he was, like, super excited, which is, it is he's, he actually would hashtag tour perks. <laughs> like, one of the perks of being on tour is you get to meet. Hashtag. That's great. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, so, like, a, to now, if he gets excited, I can tell by one, because one eyebrow moves. Whoa. <laughs> He's That's like you or up. me doing like jumping. Yeah, we're just like, ah. So, did you just meet him recently, or has he been with you for 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 a few years since uh, Dodger Stadium? So for a year, you know. So um, did, did like and just curious, out of curiosity, did they say like this is going to be your guy, or do you like did you do like a, a audition to find a guy? It's or? funny, yeah. I mean, talking curious, about yeah. talking about security details and stuff, right? Because yeah. uh, every. You know, you you'll go and see you'll be in a group of like like Slipknot. Mm-hmm. You'll be at the hotel and you'll see their guys. Mm-hmm. Now, really, I, yeah, I've gotten to know different security details, and sometimes they cross over to other bands, of mm-hmm. course. So you see the guys, and they're like, how did, I wonder how they got those guys, right? Right. And in our case, so Chemo, there's a there's a guy that's Slash's guy, right? Yeah. And he's been with other bands throughout the years. And uh, in the case of my guy, Tadao, uh, Kimo and Tadao are cousins. Okay. So I had a guy before this, Tim Medbets, who's my, my bro. He's He was also head of security for the Hells Angels for eight years. <laughs> so he was out with me. I've climbed mountains with Tim. Like literally? Yeah, he's yeah. done Everest three times and the seven highest in, in the world. And he has this foundation where he takes legless and armless vets up the highest really? mountains in the world. Yeah. And he's just a wonderful dude. And he's a badass. And he's my bro. And he yeah. rides Harleys and, and et cetera, et cetera. So he was my guy um, for the first seven months of this tour, six months. Mm-hmm. But he's has an injury. He got in a bad motorcycle accident a bunch of years ago. And he finally had to get his... Like surgery or whatever? Or? Well, he had to get in. He's got like um, metal up and down the spine. Gotcha. There was a show called Everest on, on Discovery. Mm-hmm. And if anybody's seen that, he was Biker Tim on that. Oh. And, <laughs> and uh, he, yeah, he got in a really bad accident. And they said he'd never walk again and blah, blah, blah. But he climbed Everest. Hmm. So he's a, he's a fantastic guy. But he had to finally get that surgery on his ankle. And they weren't sure if he was gonna, they were going to save his foot. Mm-hmm. And so, but... So he had to take the time off. So Tadao came in, um, and he, but you end up hanging with these. Well, yeah, guys. and so that's why I brought Tim because we climb mountains together. We hang alone in solitude in the you know ten right. below, and right. we get along well. So Tadao 
coming out, it's like, well, that's that's a big part of it. Can we hang? Because you eat dinner together every night. You travel together. You do everything together. And Tadao is so cool. He's so mellow, you know. And then he'll come out of his room and he's got a little speaker and he's got like the newest pop. You know, as long as, yeah. Newest Taylor Swift and Katy Perry and <laughs> Bieber and stuff. And that's our walking music down the hall into the elevator, you know. He's playing it as you guys are walking. It's our walking music. And, th- and this is the thing, like, like you know, and, and we're joking and stuff like that. And, and obviously you and I are bros and you're super humble and super cool. But to get to the level when you need security and obviously guns and roses this is a huge stadium tour mm-hmm. so what exactly is he doing is he just kind of is he the guy that kind of leads you from a to b your day to day is there i doubt there's fans trying to like accost you where he has to go like get out of here um that okay so let's see there is that it is that okay Maybe, north america's you got it's more ebayers eBay, oh you geez. know isn't that brutal it's brutal and i'm sure you deal with it all the time, time. These people show up at the airport, and I'm like, "How did you know what flight I'm on?" They know what flight you're on. Like, if I had to, if I had to pick you up from the airport and I say, "Hey, my friend Duff's on a flight. What flight is he on?" They would say, "Sorry, sir, we can't give you that information." But they know it. But yet you land. There's fans there with all the pictures and whatever. You know, there's got to be money exchanged there. I agree. Yeah. And there's there's particular airlines. I'll say it. American Airlines sells their information. Really? For sure. For sure. Every time you land at JFK and American, they're there. And there's a whole like a whole posse of them there. Posse, L.A. Same thing. Yeah, America. It seems to be American more mm. than, than others. Okay. Um, other certain hotels in Manhattan. Really? Like, wow. I'm here for twelve hours. I'm not even spending the night here. Yeah. How did you know I was going to be here? Right. You know. Yeah, I even asked that. So, like, how did we're you... not even playing a gig here? <laughs> You're like doing like you have a day room. Because you're traveling somewhere, whatever. Yeah, it happened last week. I was in Manhattan for me and uh, Slash and I were there for you know twelve hours, and there they are. Yeah, how do you know this? Right. So, what does Tadao do in that situation? Um. So he calls ahead. You know, like that's not a a life-threatening thing. No, no, no. Of course. So I don't mean to make it a bigger thing than it is. If you're tired, that's the main thing. Is you're tired, and you know, you just out here. You're trying to get to the gym. You're trying to eat something good. You're trying to get coffee, and you're trying to get to your gig or whatever the thing you got to do, mm-hmm. and that's it. So, and you don't want to, like germs and like in that case, like germs and stuff. You want to come in the back. Mm-hmm. I, that day, I had strep throat, so I didn't want to deal. Wow, I had strep throat for like a week and a half out here, which you know, as a singer, it's brutal. Is brutal. So I was on steroids and, you know, stuff. Because you sing during the show as well. You have your own song even that you sing during the set. But I see a lot of, like, falsetto backups. You're doing a lot of that. I noticed that when I saw you last year. You're doing singing throughout the whole show. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of, you know, falsetto, especially. Mm -hmm. You can't. High singing, yeah. You can't be full voice. So you can't, you know, so um, luckily we have uh, Melissa Reese with us. And she's a vocal coach. Oh. She is such an amazing singer. She, she plays keyboards and yeah. she sings, yeah. She sings a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and her and I sing a lot of like just uh, duo vocals. So she's like, dude, okay, here's what you got to do. And uh, she like, coached me through that. So that what, is, what is just from a singing standpoint, like what was she saying? Like is she talking about if you're sick, here's what you got to do or just in Strep general? Throat. She, no, she's got it down to exactly here's what's going on. Physically with your vocal cords and strep is right here. And let me look. 
Shined a flashlight up. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Don't touch me. You know. <laughs> so how how do you sing when you have that problem? So you um, you know when you yawn mm-hmm. and you open up the back of your palate. Mm-hmm. So you have to sing like you you got to sing all the way up there like you're yawning. That mm-hmm. that part in the back of your palate when you're yawning, you have to push from the lower abs up to that yawning part. Hmm. You, you got to like you know close your mouth in like you're saying ooh the mm. whole time. Right. When you sing not like she says I look at you downstage when you're singing and your your mouth is wide. Close it up. Oh. Just put your shoulders back. I'm like, but I got the bass on. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're all trying to look cool and stuff. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not trying to look cool. I just got my bass on. I'm singing. This is how I've sang for 30 years. Well, you got to lift your shoulders up and pull them back and put them back down. And Interesting. Put your chest up and sing from your lower abs and blah, blah, blah. Really? Yeah. It's funny because I, I met Smokey Robinson once. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he was eating lemons. And I just went up to him and say, so, you know, Smokey, like, does lemons, does that help you with your voice? Is that like for your throat? He's like, no, man, I just like eating lemons. Ah, That's great. (laughs) And he said, the only thing that helps you as a singer for it was water and sleep. He said the rest of that shit, you know, throat coat and all that stuff. He says, that's all bullshit for me. And he's like, obviously one of the greatest singers of all time for 50 years. And so I always kind of took that, his advice, sleeping and, and water. And yeah, you, know, you don't sleep though. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I know you, yeah. Jericho. What do you do about three, four hours a night, maybe four or five hours, a, uh, four or five hours a night. Four or five. Once in a while, it'll be a little bit longer, but usually five is 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 the norm. That's it. My mind is moving too much, and yeah. I've got stuff going on. You mean, I get it. How is it for you when you're on the road? Because you guys have a lot of days off as well, mm-hmm. right? We do. Yeah. Um, yeah, you definitely like. I'm in a thing right now. You know, when you get on the road and you get in your, tell me in your groove, like in your zone, groove. your routine. Yeah, yeah. So we just and and like I can go. I traveled from two months ago. I traveled from Tel Aviv to Seattle to go to the dentist. <laughs> we were supposed to have nine days off, but we put this Apollo show in New York City right, right in the middle of our nine days off. So I'm like. But I had to go to the dentist. I had to get this temporary, taken off this root canal and put the permanent on. Yeah. yeah. My dentist going, dude, if that thing comes off, you're screwed. Right. You want to keep your teeth or what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I want to keep my teeth. You all come. To, so I was going to go to, you know, I was going to go home for nine days and get my tooth fixed and blah, blah, blah. But I couldn't. So I flew from Tel Aviv, which is Middle Eastern time, whatever that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Israeli in time or whatever. 11 hours ahead of Seattle. Yeah. Flew to Seattle. Slept that night. Went to the dentist in the morning. Got it done. Flew to Manhattan. So that's back (laughs) over across the country. Mm -hmm. Got there. Went to, you know, went and got some Mr. Softy ice cream and stuff. Went to the gym. Went to bed. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Got up. Did sound check. It was hot. Sound check. Did the, the Apollo show, which we played late. New York time because it want to be midnight because the 30th anniversary of Appetite, right? Mm-hmm. So we want to play at midnight at the time. Oh, the exact you know whatever. moment, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we did that and um, uh, went to the hotel. Went oh, slept for one hour because I got on the O Dark Thirty flight back uh-huh. to my family. Gotcha, right? 
and uh, and my point to all that in all of that I, I experienced no jet lag because you're really you're zoning in on this thing you're mm-hmm. gonna attack this thing and you're not gonna have jet lag and you're gonna but going from eastern time montreal ottawa Man- miami hershey pennsylvania where we've been for a while just as the central time that messed you up. <laughs> in Winnipeg, I'm kind of, I'm kind of messed up. Yeah. But it, it's funny though. Like you mentioned, like your dentist, right? And mm-hmm. it's the same. Like, like you have to go to the dentist. But you'd be like, well, then why don't you just go to like? No, no, you have to go to your dentist. Yeah, like that's the way. Like it's a, it, it's yeah. yours. It's my dentist. You know, like even for me, right? Like, like I'm growing my hair out a little bit. It's going to be end up probably looking a little bit like yours when I'm done. Mine's a mess right now. Well, so is mine. But the reason I have this hair is because I was on tour for a month. Then I came back and my hairstylist was was on vacation for a month. And I'm not going to go to just anybody. No. I want to go to her. I've and gotten since, some mullets because I've gone yeah. to the person. Yeah. And it's like since I can't go to her, I'm just, I got two months of hair now. I'm just going to keep going and see where it ends up. But I think people would not understand that. Like you want to go to your dentist, your hairstylist. So it's worth it flying all the way across the country to yeah. go, right, to yours. Yeah, yeah, like um, seeing even seeing a doctor. Like mm-hmm. I got this, I got what I got strep throat, right? Mm-hmm, so right. I saw a doctor, and I have a heart murmur. I've had it since I was a kid, right? So I know what's coming, and then also I've done a bunch of drugs in my twenties, right? <laughs> so I know what's going to happen. Yeah, I I can call it. He's going to put the. He's going to look up my nose. He's going to go, oh my god. Okay, I did a bunch of cocaine in my twenties, man. <laughs> I know. I've had two surgeries. Jeez, I've you know, wow. It was a long I don't do drugs anymore. If you're looking for a drug, you know, like it's not. Yeah. And then they put the thing on they want to listen to my lungs, right? You got a heart murmur. Did you anybody told you? Yeah, uh Mr. Bedside Manor. Yes. I know. I'm not gonna die. I'm pretty yeah. sure right now. I got Does it, it sound like I'm gonna die? Yeah. Um. Well, you you should get that checked out. No, I'm I'm good. Thanks. But now I'll freak out all night. But thanks. Cool. Now you're worried all night, right? Yeah. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Talk is Jericho. I was for you know, like you're on tour and playing these big rooms, big rooms, big venues, big places, but you're completely sober and have been for about 15 years now. Oh, 10 years. Well, no, uh, I mean, I've been off the, the booze since 94. 94. And yeah. And completely sober from all the other shit too. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So when when you are on tour now, I mean, you've obviously, and we've toured together in the UK and Australia, but now on this in these big, you know, playing stadiums, is it different? Like, do you think back to what you used to do, like in the nineties, when you had days off? Like now you're going to the gym, and you I know, mean, my days off have been the same thing though for a long time. Okay, now, which is gym. Whatever kind of physical activity, which is going to be something, it's always extreme. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the one thing I had to start to figure out. How do I? How do you get that same part in your uh, tap that same place in your head mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. without going so extreme? Because I'm like doing all kinds of supplements now and 
vitamin mineral green, like, and, and even tried cannabinoids for joints. You know, right, have you right, tried right. that? No. What is it? The, the, uh, um, you know, CBD oil. Yeah. So a doctor gave it to me. There, there's, there's a study. It's really good for like joints. Mm-hmm. Getting in like after fifty, and they're, they're, so it actually worked. Hmm. It doesn't get you high or anything. It's just the. It's the but it's almost like like this type of stuff is your new addiction, like the the healthy. Well, side no, of I'm trying to find is there is there a mixture of stuff I can do and still go hard in the gym and not be so damn sore. Mm-hmm. Um, how do I not? I work out seven days a week. How do I take a rest day? <laughs> and plus, you're doing the three hour shows three, three days shows. a week, right? Two three days a week. Yeah, and that's um, very and taxing. We're, and we're picking it up because we're going to do a arena run right. in the fall. Right, right, right. So then we're doing. We won't have to move a huge stage. That's why we only play two, three times a week because we have this. We have a couple stages going. Mm, like one stage is being set up now in the next venue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when you're playing a stadium show, like you mentioned, you've got a big stadium stage that you have to cover. There's a yeah, lot of, that's that's know. why you see big bands. They're only playing a couple times a week. Mm-hmm. You're going, oh, well, those guys are really slowing down. But no, you know, you have to set this whole thing up. That yeah, every, yeah. If you walk into a stadium and you see... Paul McCartney or some big band or us playing everything there, including the seats on the ground, you know, are ours. We've either rented those seats. Really? Every It's like we're putting on an NFL football game. Wow. Even yeah. the seats. I never thought about that. Yeah. Oh, but back to the, the security thing. Oh. <laughs> what I wanted to get to on that mm-hmm. in all seriousness. So uh, there, there's there's personal security guys that we have. And, but that's not real. Like all this eBay stuff and all that. South America is crazy. You need to have. It's like, like Beatlemania there, right? It's like yeah, insane, right? Yeah. Uh, Europe, like Italy, and some. It's Justin Bieber stuff. You know, mm-hmm. Beatlemania. It mm-hmm. really is. Mm-hmm. And that's a thing. But you know, in this day and age, we like we went and played Slane Castle in, in Dublin. Three days after the Ariana Grande thing oh, in, in Manchester, right? So, in every place, all these places are on high alert. So they, we have a full security detail at the venue. We have advanced guys, and they're all, you know, ex SEAL team guys. All this stuff, and then they coordinate with the police. So, uh, and whoever else Mm -hmm. um, to make sure that the the people coming to see us are safe. Gotcha. You know, we have a way out. I'm not worried about me. Right, Right. 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 But you're you're worried about the you know you're putting on a big show. You have a bunch of people coming to see you. There's a responsibility to that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, I think we feel it pretty greatly and pretty gravely sometimes. And so that that show, same promoter that uh, the the Manchester show was our promoter three days later in Slane. Wow, in Slane, and that's a and big it's gig. Six, it's sixty miles as the crow flies from Manchester to, wow. to Dublin. It's pretty close. Maybe too close for comfort. You're mm-hmm. putting on this 85,000 people, gig, yeah. you know? Right. So there's all the way to the train stations and, and you know, see something, say something. All of that was, uh, and the security all throughout Europe was really great. And they had, um, I think they had the crowd as safe as they could get it. Mm-hmm. Some pl- places we played, there was helicopters circling. Wow. You know, with a guy hanging out. With the gun, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That gets your attention as you're playing. You're like, wow, there's a guy. Sure, and that's the world that we live in now. 
Yeah. You know? We did a show in Paris a week after the Bataclan with the oh, Eagles Death Metal. Yeah. yeah we, we did a show one week later. And you and, guys were in, um, weren't you in St. Louis like a couple, few days after the... Good, yeah, dude, with the yeah. Ferguson thing. That's yeah. right. And both the shows, I mean, like... There's, I mean, there's small crowds because who the hell is going to go to a rock show? But for us, we wanted to do it because you don't want to cancel because you don't want to let, you know, let them win, quote unquote. But I'll tell you what, the one in Paris a week after the, you know, this massive shooting massacre, you know, I'm watching the door, the back of the room, like just in case. Right. But you don't want to, we didn't want to cancel it. And the people that showed up had a great time and it was, they needed it. But it's scary though, man. You know, it's like I said, like. You know, you just never know what's going to go down. And like you said, we can just run out the back. You know, there's always a way for the band to escape. But it's for the fans and the people out there that, that you're worried for them in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah, I mean, you say you can always you can just run well, out yeah. the back. You hope. Right, right. But the, you think you're, you're playing the show, so you're kind of the last person you're worried about. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a certain part of you is like, okay, what's my strategy? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I had my escape route planned. Yeah. And I do that actually every time because another thing we did was the night that there was that fire uh, at the Great White Show in Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. Remember that? Yeah. We played that night as well in Albany, New York, which was right down the road. Yeah. So every time I do a show, I always look at where's my escape route if a fire breaks out. You know what I mean? You just have to think that way. It's shitty, but that's just how you think, right? Yeah. So when you're talking about doing these big shows, and it's it's interesting because um, it's a very cool coincidence that August 24th, 1987, I saw Guns N' Roses for the and first today time. Today is August 24th. August 24th, 2017. Here you are playing the stadium. Slash brought that up. See, I, think, I, you, I texted yeah. Slash as well. Did he, did he tell you about yeah. it? Because you know, Slash is always so cool. He's like, wow, what a coincidence. But it's cool that he actually thought enough of it to, to, yeah, to bring like, it up. Hey, man, Jericho texted me and he said, here's the deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I. Um, do you remember, like, you know, do you remember that, that tour with the cult? Because I think oh, yeah. I think that was your first tour, right? Oh, I remember it well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I really do. I mean, that was a that was the first arena tour I'd ever done, mm-hmm. and um, we had a tour bus, like a real <laughs> tour bus, and you know, of course, the tour bus was twenty years old at yeah. the time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, the first night we were in Halifax, our bus driver got rolled for his his float by a hooker. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, but it, you know it didn't matter. We were on a. I remember having no money on that tour and like um, going through the audience after we played. It's like you didn't change, so I could make a phone call. Dude, I'm going to tell you something right now. Did I come up to you and ask for change? No, you didn't. But you were at the back of the arena selling the buttons on your jacket for five bucks each in the middle of the crowd. And I know this because I just talked to my cousin Chad. I said, what was Duff doing? Because we saw you. And he said he was selling the pins on his jacket for five bucks a piece. Yeah. <laughs> so you're like, just yeah. the crowd. Yeah. So like catering on that. Like, wow, they got catering. There's food. <laughs> yeah. So there was like a meal on gig days that you could have. But we we had no money. There was like, there, we had no per diem. <laughs> we had no no money. Right. So it's like, okay, well, you guys are on tour. It's great. He, we had Mick Bob, who's my tech still. Mm-hmm. We just celebrated 30 years. Yeah, Mick Bob, yeah. yeah um, 30 years. 30 That's years. crazy. We had, he and I had dinner in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 30 years. So that was 30 years ago, wasn't it? Exactly so he 30 started years. in Halifax. That was his first 
gig. It was just McBob and another guy mm. then. I'm sure you didn't have a big crew. Yeah. We had two guys. Yeah. Yeah. Which was like huge to us. We have two guys <laughs> um, and a backdrop. <laughs> and it was probably like four by eight, right. the backdrop. But um, yeah, I remember the tour very well. Um, you know, being broke or any of that stuff didn't matter. I did so many punk rock tours where you had no place to stay. You would like get to the show and you would find there would always be a punk rock house that you could sleep at so you just the band house there was some band house Mm -hmm. somewhere in wherever you're at eugene oregon (laughs) there's some kid's house well you know you sometimes you sleep at somebody's mom's house right um so i wasn't worried about that we had a tour bus you could always go to the bus yeah right sleep on that yeah um so uh yeah we went started in halifax came across Canada and played the hockey rinks mm-hmm. and, and some theaters. Came down the West Coast, went through my hometown of Seattle, and it was amazing. Played the Paramount, this place. I'd seen the Clash and all these the police, Classic all these place, gr- yeah. great bands. I saw the Clash pre London Calling at, the, wow. at this place at the Paramount that now we're playing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a big deal. Came back down through L.A., then across the Southwest through Texas. And ended in, in New Orleans, and I remember the tour very well. Because, yeah. like at that point in time, I remember, like no one, at least up here in Winnipeg, no one knew who you were. No, no, never knew. heard of you guys no. or anything about Guns and Roses. And I remember, still remember, the guy came on stage. Maybe it was McBob, and he was like, uh, "Of all the bands in the world, this is one of them." Here's McBob. Guns and Roses. Yeah, yeah, it was McBob. And then you walk out there, plug in, and start. It's so easy. And I was like, "Who the fuck are these guys?" Yeah. Bunch of scums. What a bunch of bums. You yeah. know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we came back through a few months later with, with Iron Maiden. With Iron Maiden. That's right. And that crowd, you know, the cult crowd was a little more like a rock and roll. You it's know? a little bit more similar to the vibe of Guns N' Roses than right. Maiden would be. Maiden's crowd were like, who are the hell are these? <laughs> fucking, you know? <laughs> But you just go out and you do the the, the shows, you know. Uh, we are thankful to, to Iron Maiden for that that tour. But we did we toured a lot where mm-hmm. nobody knew who we were, mm-hmm. mostly. Because mostly on that on that Appetite for Destruction tour, we were out for a year. Well, because it's funny because Appetite came out like you said in July of '87. Mm-hmm. I actually did a bit of research. Yeah, one thing, but it didn't take off till about a year later. Yeah. Which is unbelievable in this day and age that you had a whole year before the album. And it wasn't normal back then either. Mm-hmm. You know, they're about to pull us off the road. The, we had tour support, so that paid for the you know, the bus and the, the crew guys. And, you know, of course, we had to pay it all back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. If you have a hot dog on the record company, you're paying it back. Of course. Yeah. But eventually. Yeah, with interest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those are all things you don't know then. And they don't ever really tell you either. No. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so so we toured for a year. Um, we, you know, we'd go to London. We'd go to the U.K. and stuff, and we were blowing up there. It was a, such a strange thing to go there, and, like, we sold out the Hammersmith Odeon. Hmm. That's 2,500 people or something, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And we sold out other th- big theater in the U.K., and then we'd come back to America and be like... The, three people up front like yeah that's our band that's our three people yeah 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 sure. and uh, then we'd go to Japan and and it was a thing there Australia was a thing come hmm. back to the states nothing but when it started to pick up 
it really we were on the Aerosmith tour. So we did. What did we do? We did, we did Alice Cooper tour. Mm-hmm. We were the first of three. Really? Yeah, through the Midwest. So that's like you know, it's us, Megadeth, Alice Cooper. Another strange bill, right? Yeah. yeah. So you got to set up in front of not only Alice Cooper stuff, but Megadeth stuff. There's Alice's drum set, <laughs> Megadeth's drum set, then your drum set at the very front, the <laughs> lip. So you'd have to. There was gigs we had to jump over the the, the bass drum to get to the other side <laughs> of the stage. Uh, uh, the Colts were nice enough to give us that first tour, and um, you know they saw us at the Marquee in London. Hmm. And we're like, we want to take those guys on tour. Hmm. We think that band's killer. They saw it before anybody else. Yeah, did, they really. Yeah. yeah. And um, so, always thankful to them, and and made all the bands that took us out. And Motley Crue, again, the, our three people were up front. Yay! <laughs> in the south, the rest of the people were like, who? You were just filing in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We uh, want Tommy talking, Lee. Yeah, you know, yeah, sure. Um, and then the Aerosmith tour, um, Sweet Child of Mine single came out, and it went from three to thirty, you know, to, to three hundred, all in like, I swear, a couple of weeks. And I remember to, that to too. Three thousand to, to everybody got there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To see us, and to, then you're almost bigger than the headlining. Well, you know. well we had the, we had uh, that new breaking band. Yeah, fit stigma. Right. So people were really excited. Aerosmith. Of course, our Aerosmith you, you, bands you just don't compete with. Right. They're Aerosmith. Sure. But we had that, that fresh, shiny vibe yeah, where yeah, everybody yeah. had to see us. So, right, right, right. Just then, on the strength of that one song. Yeah, then, mind, so yeah. then they would you know, get the record and go, oh, my God, you know, I, I, I like mm-hmm. this song and that song. And so, um, yeah, we, um, that was a, a really interesting time, you know, going from – Asking people for change so you could make a phone call. You really literally. We, we were still didn't have any money, but everybody knew. The thing is, like, everybody knew who you were suddenly. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, you go into grocery store when you got back to L.A. and we were on the cover of the Rolling Stone, and um, but you don't change at all. You're mm-hmm. like, well, this is. I got to buy some copies for sure. It's like that song, yeah, you know, yeah. buy five copies for my mother. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> but then people are looking at you at the store like, oh, and pointing, there's a guy. And, um, I, I was like, wow, that's weird. It's so weird. <laughs> Hi. You know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, that odd thing where yeah, you don't know what to say. Yeah. Hello. Uh, weird. So how's my voice sound when I say that? Hello. <laughs> Hi. How am I supposed to even say that? <laughs> yes. It's me. Yeah. I'm that guy. I don't know what to even say, you know? And it's like we said the classic line of, are you who I think you are? Yeah. It's like, who do you think I am? I don't know. Depends on who you think I am. Yes, well, I, I'm pretty sure it depends on that. Yeah. <laughs> I was telling you last night that... Uh, I like your answer. People say to me, like, uh, you're, you're, a lot, you're a lot smaller in person. And I always say, like, well, I'm actually not even this big. <laughs> but today I posted the picture, and right underneath... On his Instagram, someone goes, wow, he's a lot smaller than I thought. <laughs> and I was going to text back, I'm actually not even that big. But that's always the thing, though. <laughs> you should. <laughs> I should. I should. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. 
You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. You're listening to Talk is Jericho. Let's talk about Appetite for Destruction as the record. So this is your basically your first record. Mm-hmm. And, um, and here we are now, 30 million copies later. When you guys are – was there a buzz about Guns N' Roses when you're doing this record where you're like – did you guys, I mean, you obviously never know, but did you know you had something special at the time, doing something that, that no one was really doing? We had an incredible belief in ourselves. Yeah. You know, even from the very beginning, like, when that band got together, we were, we all knew, like, well, this is the thing that we've all wanted to do. Mm-hmm. We've been in a bunch of bands before this. This is the band. Mm-hmm. And we would go out and play club shows in, in, in LA and again like it was three people and we knew them all it was like <laughs> yeah, yeah. West Arkeen my next door neighbor <laughs> somebody's girlfriend and their friend yeah Del James from the office <laughs> yeah. yeah and then uh, yeah, Del and those guys came from New York and yeah. so then it was seven people you know yes that believed in us mm-hmm. and um, when you believe in yourself nothing can stop you mm. you know what I mean right and we believed in ourselves and we, we built that band up in LA and and we kept writing and we kept writing songs and and uh fine tuning songs we had you know like some of the songs like Rocket Queen or whatever you probably wouldn't recognize like oh the main riffs there mm-hmm. oh but they went into some other weird part like we would uh, fix songs by going out and playing the songs like oh that didn't really work mm. that didn't feel right there so we'd get back in and this little dingy uh, rehearsal place we had, we lived in and everything. No bathroom. And, but you guys it was lived our, in there. Yeah, it was our lab, <laughs> you know, and and we believed in, in ourselves and, and uh, labels started coming out and we, you know, we started attracting bigger crowds. That's when labels started coming out. We started selling out the Troubadour, which is a big deal in L.A. You sure. go to the Troubadour and now and you look at the size of it it's like well what's the big deal it's like 220 people but it, you know then it was a big thing the troubadour was it used to be kind of way bigger than it is now it used to be one of the cornerstones of the la scene right yeah because that that kind of um there was still the what's what's the right word um mystique of it or it was, yeah from the 70s right right elton john going there and, and all those kind of uh there yeah. was a lot of bands that that broke at the troubadour artists mm-hmm. that broke mm-hmm. and so there was still sort of that thing there's still doug weston's troubadour yeah. and it was a uh, so um labels came out we made this we we signed a deal with geffen and um we made this record and we we had to find a producer nobody wanted to produce us nobody there was this thing around us this sort of stigma like these guys ain't gonna live through the because you had a, like a hard partying reputation sort of thing. Yeah, and it was it was all very real, you know. Like there was no bullshit about the band. It was a ball of fire, you know, like rolling around the city. But you know, we found a guy in my clink who saw us for what we were. We were we were in in all of that. We were really dedicated musicians and songwriters, and worked very hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would rehearse twice a day. You know, Steve and I would rehearse. Early in the day, you get up, you go to work. You know, we all had jobs like six in the morning till <laughs> noon mm-hmm. or one. Mm-hmm. And then you go to rehearsal. Who was your job at the time? My, well, we kind of all had the same job, like phone sales, right? <laughs> what were you selling? I sold office supplies. <laughs> so you're calling people 
cold uh, under calling. a different name. Yeah, I was Paul Dana. <laughs> uh, but you had to have a, you know, like I had a job, mm-hmm. and that was, you know, we all kind of grew up in a different time, like all blue collars. Kind of, you gotta, you gotta um, make your own way. Mm-hmm. You're not gonna move to L.A. and like be not work. You're yeah, gonna, yeah, yeah, you're gonna work and you're gonna. No yeah. one's giving you a credit card to live off of. When there was you move. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no. Times are different now. I think they're a lot different. Mm-hmm. Um, there just wasn't any money then in either. And we grew up in the times when they're seventies and sixties and stuff. There just wasn't money. So anyhow, you 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 pulled your own way and you go to work and then you go to uh, rehearsal. Stephen and I would rehearse every day. Have rhythm section rehearsal and kind of hone that that thing in. Mm. And then we'd rehearse as a band, and and uh, we worked hard, and we believed in that record, and we made this record, and and um, I guess that to make us, I made a really long story out of a simple question. No, but that, that, that's interesting stuff. Like you, you mentioned, just the, the rhythm section rehearsal, because mm-hmm. you know the Stephen Adler has a really cool vibe. Yeah, you know, I don't know if anybody really plays like him. Like it's different from Matt Sorum, different from Frank Farrar. Yeah. I don't know if it's more of a swing thing or a little bit more sloppy. Uh, but both of those. Both, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he was a... When I first answered the ad for Slash and Steven for this band, Road Crew. What was right? the ad? Was it like in the paper or something? Well, yeah, it was in the paper. And uh, the guy's name was Slash. I'm not, well, He's a punk rock guy. <laughs> like, I was just coming out of... Punk rock was kind of dead in 84. All the kind of skinhead guys started coming in from the suburbs mm-hmm. and they ruined punk rock like these nazi bullshit like you ain't a f-ing nazi yeah. you know you're from the suburbs yeah but this was happening all over north america the oi movement so, right yeah. just a bunch of dumb shits mm-hmm. but they ruined you know they thought slam dancing was fighting right and it just um so i was like this isn't rock and roll anymore this is something else mm-hmm. so whatever was going to be next was going to be up to guys my age and so i met the other guys my age that which were the guys in our our band mm-hmm. but we're gonna like well whatever's next is going to be up to us right right whatever that is yeah and um steven had this huge drum kit when i met him and slash like double bass drum <laughs> shit ton of toms way too many cymbals all this stuff and he would play all of it at once. You know, where's the beat? You know, mm-hmm. but he had a groove in there. He had this little engine that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, some people are just born to play drums, or some people are born to play guitar. And he was born to play drums. I played with drummers that shouldn't have been drummers. Right. It looked like such an effort back there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so eventually, when we. St- you know, Guns N' Roses became that the, those five guys. Izzy and I started taking his drums away, like <laughs> hiding them. So he, he ended up with the single ki- uh, uh, kick drum, mm-hmm. snare, no rack toms. Really? One floor tom, hi-hat, crash, a ride, and a cowbell. No. So from that huge drum kit down to this Ramones Wow. Kit, he didn't have any rack toms. Look at pictures. Interesting. Yeah. And you, you mentioned something. Listen too. to Appetite. There's right. No rack tom. You mentioned one thing too, cowbell. There's a lot of cowbell work in on that record. So he had to use what he had. Mm, interesting. He, but our our point was like, let's get to the the groove. Mm-hmm. And Stephen, so Stephen and I would listen to a lot of like cameo. 
Word Sly up. And, yeah. Yep. Sly and the Family Stone. Stuff with groove and a beat. Mm-hmm. And we'd play along to it. And I hadn't been a bass player until... I played bass in punk rock bands. And I played guitar and punk, I played drums. I really hadn't figured out which one of those I was going to do. <laughs> so I moved to LA thinking, well, I'll do one of these three. And... Um, so that band, you know, when I went to play with Steven and Slash, was a bass player. So, and then Guns started as it is, as it was. And uh, I'm like, well, I'm going to be a bass player. So how do I do that? Which bass players do I emulate? Which style? What, what am I going to be? Mm-hmm. How am I going to be different? How am I going to be this thing? And I get serious about it. And back then, bass players were kind of, you know, there was Lemmy, Paul Simonon from The Clash, Nikki said, like uh, Molly Crew, like but bass players was it was a cool thing to be. There was a band called Magazine where the bass, Killing Joke, all these band like the bass player was the thing. <laughs> so uh, like let's make our rhythm section a thing, and there was also Jane's Addiction where their their rhythm section was unreal. Like okay, we got to be unreal. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'd listen to a lot of that kind of stuff and would sometimes play along to it, and then we'd play our songs. With like, let's get a real pocket. Mm-hmm. So you hear you hear semblances of that sort sort of R and B and funk and stuff in, but we made it our own thing. We made it very rock and roll, and uh, but it was a lot of work mm-hmm. because I wasn't really a bass player. He well, that's that's one thing. Like I noticed, like when guitar players switch over to bass, you're still thinking almost like a guitar player in a lot of ways. I was thinking ways. like a drummer, like a drummer. Gotcha. Because yeah. your bass your bass lines like I say this. Not just because you're here and because we're friends, but your bass lines are very inventive and very cool. Like it's not just normal bass playing. It's almost like, like like Gene Simmons plays very strange, yeah. against the rhythm parts. Like McCartney, mm-hmm. you do the same thing, which is not a punk a punk rock bass player, right? You know, you're coming at it more of almost like, like I said, like Gene or like a Steve Harris even, where there's a lot of really cool stuff going on that's not just the root, right? And I mean. Like punk rock is such a broad term, so mm-hmm. I, I hate to even use that because you listen to the Clash and Paul Simonon did some amazing. Yeah, stuff, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then you get to Lemmy. You go to Lemmy for like just down the middle, like hate bass mm-hmm, playing. Mm-hmm. Like I love that too. Mm-hmm. That's more like I guess punk rock. Very also the distorted tone yeah. that he had. Yeah, I'm not sure if he used a pedal or just used his amp murder one and turned on the distortion. But that's almost like a guitar when you yeah. listen to it. You know. Yeah, and then there would be like other stuff like Killing Joke, and so I, I don't mean put punk rock. I put anything with sort of bad intention, mm-hmm. which I love. Mm-hmm. You know, playing with bad intentions. All into punk rock. Like, like, it's hard to call the Clash a punk rock band by the definition of what punk rock what, is, because whatever that definition, right? Like is. Rock the Casbah, or like you know, Train in Vain is not a punk rock song in the least, but right. they're a punk rock band, right? I guess, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I you think know? you know, a lot of bands tried to to shake that. Yeah, yeah, Blondie, or even the Police started as a punk band. Quote they did. Unquote. I I saw them on a punk tour. You know. Yeah, another great bass player too, and Sting, and very underrated as a bass player. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's like how he could sing and, and play those bass lines. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I heard you, you'll take appreciation of this when he was first learning how to sing and play guitar or play bass at the same time. He wrote a lot of songs with space. 
like walking on the moon, mm-hmm. the vocal line there's no bass line. Dun, 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 right. Dun, bum, 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 dun, 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 dun. I thought that was always pretty cool. Like when I heard that, like a lot of the early police tunes have that space where there's nothing going on in, right. in between, you know, to learn right. how to sing and play. Because it's hard to sing and play. You do it great, but it's not an easy thing to do. Yeah. You know? Yeah, well, you use it like anything you work at. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 When you're talking about the, about the songs on Appetite, did you like which songs are, are are yours that you brought to the table on that record? It's so hard to say, you okay. know, it, because everybody has a piece of every like, mm-hmm. um, like it's so easy as a song I recorded on four track, a a version of it. I learned how to open E tuning on guitar from <laughs> Wes, my next door neighbor. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you learn learn a new tuning on guitar, you write like nineteen songs. 25 minutes like yeah. wow this new t- tuning just opened up a whole new world yeah, yeah yeah so it's so easy was a thing i recorded and axel loved it you know it's like okay paradise city i had a, a a lyric for that you know with three chords welcome to the jungle the the, the verse riff is it is from this old punk rock band it was the like band, 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 yeah, band. Yeah. that's your riff yeah that's cool so there's so many riffs yes yeah yeah, yeah. and i hate to even say they're their mind because it was such a band mm-hmm. thing so i over the years you know i think maybe back then i like because you're young you're 20 and 21 you're like well that part's mine you know, <laughs> yeah you you learn to really shake that mm-hmm. that that thing those those were just really band songs because if you look at the you know the track listing it says all songs written by guns and roses yeah and, and it's so true that's true yeah yeah so you guys would just get together in a room and just throw shit around and yeah yeah worked hard we were we just played a lot we rehearsed a lot and um you know axel would, would come in and start singing on something he's like well that part's wrong you got to change it hmm. doesn't work like well, what okay what does that mean you know you didn't have, have a guitar on it's like, well, it's got to be more angry, you know, or this part's got to be. And like, okay, shit. You know, and you learned, like, he, he had such amazing instincts. At first, you're like, well, what's this? He doesn't even play guitar. Like, what's he, <laughs> what's he know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But he, like, we'd land on something, like, after being frustrated and finally, like, Slash would play some riff, like, just being pissed off. Like, Oh, there it is. Mm. There it is. And you'd learn like whatever Axel's instinct was usually like the right thing. Even though you'd fight through it and fight through it and fight through it and finally land on something. So, uh, yeah, you're basically pushing each other. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and like, where do we go at the end of uh sweet child was, okay, where do we go in this song now? Where do we go we, now? We, yeah. <laughs> so that was like a place setter lyric. As oh I really? Remember. Yeah. Where do we go? Where do in the song? No where do shit. we go now? Oh, that's great. Yeah, but it ended up <laughs> like that was that band at the time. Like, oh, actually, that works. Yeah. For the song, you know, uh, for the for the previous lyric in the song, it works great. It's great because when you think about it, it's like it doesn't. I mean, it makes sense, but it doesn't really make sense. But that's the reason yeah. why yeah. it was just the placeholder for what you wanted mm-hmm. to do. How? Much of like kind of the unsung hero, if that's the right word, was Izzy to to, to that process. Oh, I mean, I don't think he's unsung. Mm-hmm. Sorry, 
That's right. He's putting uh, vitamin C into your water yeah. bottle. Yeah, and then it looks like I've done it's <laughs> yeah, my whole room. It looks like I've done cocaine. I have, <laughs> you know, all these yeah. powders, white that, powder all over the place. Thirty years difference. I leave my rooms in all these fancy tin suites, and they're like, "Oh, that guy does a lot of cocaine." That guy from Guns N' Roses is on so much cocaine. We saw the so white much. powder everywhere. Yeah, um, <laughs> we're talking about Izzy though. Is I, I've heard the unsung hero, but mm. I think he's sung. Pretty well. He was, you know, a big part of that band, and and uh, but everybody was, mm. you know, um, Stephen. You know, some of the beats that he would start would, would inspire a riff, you know. And how do you give that credit to a drummer who doesn't have a guitar? And how do you, you know, um, Axel? You got to credit him with like pushing us to get the riff for Michelle. Mm. You know, how do you mean? Because it was double time, and it was. That original riff for Michelle wasn't the riff it was. It was oh. this fast kind of. So if you goofy, double times like dan dan dan, dan like the it, B is faster. I even forget what it was. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, but um, and Izzy had like this these cool riffs and and, but the rest of the band would take it and make it like this whole other thing. Mm-hmm. And um, it's hard to say. Everybody, if you want to say that anybody was unsung, then everybody was unsung. Mm. Or or everybody was sung. Everyone was sung. <laughs> I don't know, um, but um, he was. You know, he as he rolled. He was a, a super cool guy for sure. Mm-hmm. And you know, we all had our our demons, and we faced them at different times. And uh, he had his kind of in the midst of all of that early on. But yeah, yeah. Um, we all had them. Mm-hmm. Make no mistake about mm-hmm. it. <laughs> uh, but it was how you know. Um, that's a whole another story. But that's always kind of the, it was like almost the the image of Guns N' Roses were like you know, and you guys cultivated that. You know, all your pictures would have like a bottle of Jack Daniels and cigarettes in hand. But that was part of the of the. Uh, it wasn't a, like we didn't have an image consultant. <laughs> <laughs> that was just who you didn't we have were. a stylist. No, we did not. But but I mean, it was it was a whole. Like in 1987, 88, that was a whole new thing. I was like, Molly Crew was like a party band, but you guys were like just dirty. The Guns N' Roses just looked like a bunch of dirty motherfuckers and a great rock and roll band, and that was part of the of the beauty of of of, of your guys's vibe. I think. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You guys just didn't give a shit. No. No. In a time when other bands seemingly did. Yeah, it was the real thing. I mean, there was there was other bands, and and I won't name them, but you know, I mean, there was just other bands in that scene that we we just oh, like if you get put in the same realm with them, like in some like once like Hip Parade or whatever the magazines were started to write about it, like do not put us in the same category with those bands, like hair metal bands or something, or, or yeah. whatever whichever mm-hmm. band it was, because mm-hmm. we we knew who was real and we knew who wasn't. We you know like we loved fear we loved you know the bands that were real around us but you must have loved aerosmith as well that's, that's yeah but real... i'm talking about the bands that were around gotcha us in la gotcha. james addiction james addiction was a real thing those guys <laughs> were like super <laughs> super intense yeah yeah out there and yeah, great. yeah, yeah. And, and um and they were from they were doing their own thing mm-hmm. for sure and there was a bunch of bands that just were kind of copying what the other Mm-hmm. image and then you know um so we just our our image as it were was not it was a it was an anti-image it was just us so if you saw a picture with us with jack or whatever that was just they snapped a photo <laughs> of us okay you guys get together 
Because you have to get together for a photo if right. you all want to be in it. Yeah. Here, okay, good. The photo session's <laughs> over. <laughs> you know? Off we go. Off we go. <laughs> so a lot of those like early photo sessions, quote unquote, were all done by Mark Cantor or Robert John, two friends of ours. Mm-hmm. And we'd usually be out flyering at the time. So we'd be all together. So snap a photo. It'd be in, you know. And flyering meaning? Putting up flyers for your gig. <laughs> and that was the, that was the scene. Did. The Sunset Strip scene at that yeah, point, Yeah, we'd right? get Night Train, which is $1.29 a bottle. And we'd go out and, yeah, put up flyers, get in fights, protect ourselves. You know, we were like a gang. Do a photo shoot. <laughs> okay, all you guys. Now, you all have to be together. To be, I'll be in the photo. <laughs> Snap. Okay, photo shoot's done. Um, so why would you get in fights? Because you're putting your flyer over somebody whatever. else's flyer. Yeah. You know, it, we um, or whatever. Mm. It was. It was Hollywood was a little tough. Then there was some crime. There's a lot of crack cocaine. There's all mm. kinds of um, numb scullery going on there. Numb scullery. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Talk is Jericho. Was there any bands at that time that didn't make it that you thought could have or should have? Mm. Like I always heard a lot about about Jet Boy. Yeah, they have some steam because then the, the guy passed away. And yeah, his buddy or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, Todd was. Uh, I was really really tight with Todd. You were and, close to him too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, um, yeah, he they they kicked him out. Kind <laughs> of, I think because I mean we took out the time because he was hanging out with us too much. You know, mm-hmm. um, and we were, we were this. We knew when to like draw a line. Like, like gigs were off. Like, don't be wasted for a gig. Yeah, yeah. the uh, off limits. Mm-hmm. Like, you know. But every other time, there was no limit. So you could either hang with us or you couldn't. Like, some people would come in and try to hang with us. They, you know, you knew like that person's going to last a couple hours. <laughs> And they're going to be gone. You would be puking yeah. in two hours. Yeah, You get in the scrum. And some people could hang with us and mm-hmm. just stay in the scrum. Mm-hmm. And Todd was one of those guys. And um, But Jet Boy was definitely cool. We played a bunch of shows with them early on. Mm-hmm. They had mm-hmm. their own kind of vibe. And uh, I don't really know what happened. They made a record that didn't sound great, that, that record of theirs. That mm-hmm. first mm-hmm. record they did. I don't know who produced it. But it didn't sound great. It didn't sound like them. Mm-hmm. I know with Clank and us, that was the thing we wanted to do. We didn't want to use any studio trickery or try to be, you know, like then, you know, there was that like docking sort of snare sound and stuff that everybody was using with, mm-hmm. they, where they put dynamite and stuff. Remember the, all those? Yeah, it was like a real sharp. We <laughs> reco- recorded dynamite and that was in the drum. They would put samples of stuff in the the snare drum and all of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was a lot of that. Okay. Triggering drum sounds yeah, yeah, to make yeah. them sound bigger. And, like, we don't want to do any of that. Because we, we had a feeling then, like, that's all just going to be a thing in passing. Let's, like, records that sound great 
are Ace of Spades, you know, and Led Zeppelin records mm. and Aerosmith, earlier Aerosmith records. Those records sound great. We want to sound great. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, like put mics up to our stuff and record that. And just go, yeah. So Clink really got that. So um, we were, we were, um, we wanted to make a record that sounded like us. And there were some bands in that time that suddenly you hear the record and like, that's not the band. Mm-hmm. That's a, and, they, and they put them on a click track or, or whatever. So that band is, is better than that. Mm-hmm. A lot better than that. And I think Jet Boy was with that. That was one of those was cases. It? But for you guys, like you mentioned, like your bass tone on Appetite, you must have been super happy with that because it sounds great. Yeah. It so, sits so up front in the mix. We cultivated good tones because mm-hmm. we played so much. We mm-hmm. rehearsed so much and like, this to sound good and we we got that record advanced and i knew the gear i wanted because the guitar center was right in front of our place and i'd go i'll be that guy who came in and played look one day i'm gonna get this and, yeah right oh that guy's not gonna buy again <laughs> yeah, yeah get so out I, no stairway yeah <laughs> so um that was my bass tone mm-hmm. and still basically use the same stuff same gear yeah mm-hmm what guitar did you use to to, to record, record that album? The the uh, b- the bass I have now, I still have that bass. But the basses I play every night. What are they? Uh, they're they're Fender um, Jazz Specials. They were called. They yeah. only made them for one year. They were made in Japan, and I got one. And um, it, it's the Roto Sound strings I use with it. It's the, the GK head I I use with that. Um, Seymour Duncan pickups. Mm-hmm. It's the pick I use. It's a whole thing that mm-hmm. creates this tone, and um, I use the same stuff <laughs> to this day. I do. Yeah, yeah. You know, I play with my fingers a little bit now. I, I really got into bass about eight, eight to ten years ago. I started taking lessons, and, mm, and really, yeah, I did. And I got re-inspired on the bass, and really wanted to learn like some theory and stuff. So I learned some theory and I kind of threw it away, but I, I started playing with my fingers and mm. kind of expanding my your bass knowledge. Horizons. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I play a lot. Like, like before we play a show, I'll play for like two hours, mm. which is something I didn't do back then. Mm-hmm. But we played so much, we rehearsed so much that I didn't have to go home and play. Mm-hmm. Home was actually the <laughs> our place <laughs> we rehearsed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, um, when you guys were getting ready for this tour and rehearsing again, mm-hmm. um, did you remember the songs very easily, or was it hard to get back into that Guns N' Roses groove? Because it was twenty years. It wasn't hard. Mm-hmm. You no, know, I mean, you know, that's those songs are they're they're part of your makeup, so mm-hmm. your body kind of suddenly like adheres to the right. Thing. I mean, I remember I was I listened. To appetite and play along to I I have this little setup where I can play along to music. I was like this uh, first time I ever played cover songs was just recently this Kings of Chaos thing. Right, right, right. You're right. doing so I'm playing like Deep Purple and it's like an all star cover band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're playing with the guys. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, like real Texas shuffle with ZZ Top, like playing those songs. Like whoa, this is cool. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Aerosmith songs, like playing them real, like. Not as like a cover band, but you're playing with Steven Tyler. You're going to play, this is going to be perfect. Yeah. 
Deep Purple with Glenn Hughes. Those right. songs. What a great singer he is, man. Amazing. I love Glenn. Yeah. Playing guy. Cheap Trick songs with Robin Zander. <laughs> yeah, you know? that's cool. It, it's amazing. Yeah. But uh, I, first time I played cover songs, so I, I got this little setup uh, where I got, you know, this, this blasters that plays the music, and then I have a little bass amp. And I, I play these, I learn the songs, play them over and over and over and learn them. I don't read music. Mm -hmm. I don't really need to. Mm -hmm. You just um, get in the tuning, whatever it is. Some of those old 70s songs, they, they weren't really in tune with right. anything. So yeah. you got to tune yeah. to the record, you know. Okay, here I am. All right. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, what was my point to that? So, so I had my little setup with, with Appetite. I put it, Appetite up and played through the record and... Uh, then the illusion songs, and it got into the Chinese democracy right. songs. I think that's cool that you played some tunes from that record. It's great, you yeah. know. It, Axel is, you know, he's he put a lot into that record, mm -hmm. and there's there's so this. I think Slash and I were, were like challenged with a thing like, how do we make these kind of ours? Yeah, now? yeah, sure. Because we're gonna play these, so we gotta take we're gonna take ownership mm -hmm. of of these and we went in and, and started like we learned them first and then went in and started playing with Frank and then Richard came in but like let's make let's tear these songs down first to really know them mm -hmm. so it was just Slash and I and Frank playing some of these like better and mm -hmm. Chinese democracy songs and, what and else that. do you do This I Love is that another that you guys do we do we know yeah. a bunch of them yeah, we, yeah. you know it depends on in the, in the set but let's let's, let's tear these songs down and really get to know them and then build it up from there. Mm -hmm. And um, so my point to that is, you just but, any, any, all, but, all, but all the illusion stuff and, and appetite, it didn't take long mm -hmm. at all. It took mm -hmm. a day. Is, is there like, one, okay, I got it. Is there one song uh, or what's like, what was the, what's the hardest song to play in your set? I mean, I'm sure you got them all down, but is there one where you're like a little bit more challenging? Like I got to really not run around during this one. Um, I mean, there's there's a few where I can't really run around personally. You know, mm. a bass player, like I play guitar in Loaded. I play rhythm guitar, which is the best instrument to play, period. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> no kidding, right? Because you've you got big open chords and, you, you know, and uh, you can go thrashing around. Yeah. Um, and if you don't play a couple verses or you don't have to worry about well, it. Well, you yeah. can hit a chord and run. Yeah. You know, and yeah. that thing was ringing. Mm-hmm. Bass, you, there's no ringing. You have to play. <laughs> so if you're running, you have to know, like you have to be on. Yeah, yeah, with yeah, your yeah. right hand. On there's point, no, right? there's. Or it's going to sound like a, a bar band. Mm-hmm. Bass and drums cannot. Right. It, it just cannot deviate too much. Yes. At all. So, um, yeah, I can't. But you know, I think the most challenging. There's just little parts, like the beginning of "Sweet Child of Mine," where the bass comes in. That's mm. exciting. You can't that up right everybody there is listening yeah at that point everybody's like whoa so you can't be like you gotta be on so like okay this is and there's there's slash guitar solo so i'm thinking about it you're not going from one song into that song in our set right now uh-huh he does this long oh, okay thing. he's got the godfather thing that he so does I'm yeah. sitting there <laughs> with my with my middle finger sitting on the first note mm -hmm. for like five minutes <laughs> thinking about it yeah um, but what an iconic part that's what i was talking about earlier what a great musical part of of a song where like you know that bass line as if it was a, a vocal line 
Yeah. Everyone knows it. Mm-hmm. You know? Another one I think of, too, is at the end of Paradise City when it gets fast. Yeah. Digga, 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 digga. You're yeah. walking the dog on that one. Yeah. You know? So we just throw down at the end of Paradise. That's the end of the set. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, there's there's challenging parts for sure. But we play a lot. And um, I wouldn't say anything strange. You know, you don't want to you don't want to fuck up that song. Yeah, at all. You, you know, know, it's funny when that record came out. I never liked that song because I was you know twenty one years old. Yeah. And he's this eight minute ballad or whatever. Yeah. That's one of my favorite songs in your set. It's such a great tune. Thanks. Yeah. You know, when you're younger, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, oh, come on, I want to hear. It's so easy. I want to hear rock songs. I don't want ballads. Yeah. But then when you grow up and mature a bit, it's like, what a what a great tune that is, man. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a great tune. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. Uh, just a few more questions as we as we wind down here. Um, first of all, did you have any say, or did you see that? Oh, wait. What do you got? And, and oh. you know what? <laughs> you know what I got? You is this a present for me? It's, well, we can share. Okay, we um, got a, a, a bag of almonds. Wait, wait. Go, keep, okay, keep here we go. Okay, we got a bag of almonds that Duff gave me because we became almond buddies in Australia when we were both on the paleo diet, and. Uh, we had nothing to eat. Duff was super hungry. And I was like, hey, man, I got some almonds. He's like, you got some almonds? And it's the famous story. Like, you know, back in the day, we would be exchanging pills. Yeah. <laughs> you holding? And then we're exchanging almonds. <laughs> um, so I'm on, the, I'm on the flight. We flew here from Ottawa. Right. This far. Our buses yeah, yeah. took off like when we got to Ottawa to come here. You guys have your own plane or do you fly commercially? No, flew commercial. Oh, wow. Yeah. That'd be pretty cool. Guns and Roses on the plane. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, there was uh, people that were at the show the night before. <laughs> hey, uh, can I get a picture? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Hey, man, can I get one of them uh, autographs from you, maybe, or a uh, picture? Oh, sorry. Well, okay, sorry. <laughs> shit, man. I, I well, here's the deal. They 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 gave us almonds on the flight. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and I threw some in my bag. <laughs> For you, Jericho. <laughs> I'm your almond. You, you said Steve Jones is your spirit animal, and oh, I'm your almond animal. <laughs> is this the almond? No, that's like some kind of a bar or something. It like really that. is. I, yeah. That could be. That could be years old. It, <laughs> you know, I pulled I think out you a bar. Brought, you had this in 1987, I think. This bar here. What is it, dude? It's like a, you've got like some kind of an Arabic candy bar. It's got. Is see that the, right? Yeah, look at it. It's got Arabic writing on it. It's like you must have got this when you're in Tel Aviv. <laughs> in my bag for a minute. Oh, that's great. Oh well, I can't find my. Anyhow, okay, so you got some other almonds too. I did. I got. I got you a little bag. Of oh, almonds. thanks, man. I yeah. appreciate that. Whenever you see almonds, you think of me. Yeah, yeah. right. Gotta get these for Jericho. <laughs> yeah. Um, were you ever privy to the to the original cover of Appetite? Is that something that you would be involved with, where you see that cover with like the robot and the and the chicks like? Insinuated that she just got raped. Axel found that it, mm. it was on like a little postcard on Melrose. It was the artist. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, so he loved the image. There was a couple, few images that we had looked at, and he found that one. He's like, he brought it to our little rehearsal place. He's like, check this out. And uh, Robert, what, what's it, uh, escaping me right now? With the, the Robert the John. Art- no, or, no. Or whoever wrote, yeah, the guy who drew, I don't know what his name is, but the guy who drew it. Yeah. yeah. Famous, like, you know, uh, kind of hot rod artist and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Robert Williams. Okay, there you go. And um, it was one of him, his, his images, and uh, our record company contacted him, and we, whatever, licensed the image or whatever you do. And um, that became, 
It was, it was such a kind of a perfect image. It was like he brought it great. in. We're all like, oh, there it is. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But they wouldn't let you use it. It was too controversial. We used it. It was on the first like 50,000 copies. And then it got changed because it was uh, so controversial. But, you know, yeah, but that time, you know, with the stickers and all that back then, they mm-hmm. still have the stickers? I don't think you know about like the PMRC and all that stuff. Yeah, she was great. Al Gore's wife, Tipper, yeah, Tipper Gore, Gore yeah. was great for selling records back mm-hmm. then. She, her intent was to like kind of stop black, it, blackball yeah. anything with coarse language on it or whatever subject yeah, yeah, matter. Yeah. But those stickers, parental got parental warning stickers, sold records for anybody who had that on their record. It, it worked against. Yeah, I was in a, a punk band in high school called Tipper Gory. Oh, were you really? I always love that name, Tipper Gory. Tipper Gory. <laughs> yeah. Tipper, she would really had I'm sure, I don't know. I wonder if Al was ever kind of just embarrassed by that. I'm like, sure. We just let her do it, what she wants. Oh God, you know, man. just keep her, get her out of the house and quit yeah. from yelling at us. So but 30 years later with Appetite, and, and, and this is kind of a weird question, but why do you think it's such, it, it got so huge? Like, what was it about Appetite? That made it the album of that decade in a lot of ways. It's um, probably impossible for me mm-hmm. being inside of that to, right. to answer that. Right. You know, I can't see our band like other people see from the Great outside. Point. You know, I got to say, when, when I went through and played that record before we went into rehearsal a couple of Januarys ago, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, you know, I got this feeling, oh, this record's... <laughs> This record rocks, you know. <laughs> yeah. This is yeah, yeah. You can just hear the energy and and the um, it, it, that record really captured that band mm-hmm. really well. And it, those were a lot of like first and second takes, really on that that record. Yeah, because we were playing so much. There might have been a third take on there. Did you guys record all together or was it separate? We recorded it all together. Wow. Yeah, but you know, like Slash put guitar mm-hmm. on after, but. We recorded the, bit, the the bass and drums are are that's that, cool that's too. the energy right that ever, that the the initial energy that everything's based off of mm-hmm. and um and we are pl- all playing with one another so it is that full energy I think some of the, a lot of stuff is guitar just stayed on there he didn't do it over wow. like, well no I mean that sounds yeah good. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah it's fine yeah the, the, his amp was in another room so it was isolated you didn't need to. Do it over. A lot of times you got to do some of those like uh, uh, guitars over again or, mm-hmm. or bass or whatever because the drums have bled into it. Right. It doesn't sound great. Mm-hmm. You don't want a guitar track with a bunch of drums on it. You want it just a guitar track. But um, when you isolate the amps, of course, with mics on them in different rooms and you don't have that bleed, sometimes you can just keep that. Mm-hmm. And with me playing bass with a drummer on um, anything I've done, I like to have good isolation because a lot of time just playing with the drummer that in that moment, that's the best take you're going to get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's just a lot more thing when you when you play bass again over the drum track, you, now you don't have the line of sight with him. You know, I yeah. love having that line of sight with the drummer and being right on a drummer in the mm-hmm. studio, locked in, yeah. locked in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's your favorite song on Appetite? God, I don't know. I I've been asked that. I we're playing. Michelle a lot right now. Mm-hmm. It's a great song, but then when we play "Out to Get Me," I'm like, "Oh, that's that's a song. angry tune." Yeah. Also, yeah, what a great tune. And "Night Train" is a great song. Mm-hmm. You know, like this super great, and it brings up a really fun memory of of that 
those, you know, going out and flying and, and drinking night train. I'm, I'm on the night train. That stuff. <laughs> it's the reason you say you're on the night train because it wasn't just booze. It was like so much sugar and they must have dosed it with something else. <laughs> Acid or something. Yeah, I'm yeah. not sure. Liquid LSD yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so is that how it works? Like every day, like when you guys do a show. Does, I'm assuming Axel probably writes the set list and that just gives it to you guys. We have a set list that's out there, and then you know Axel some just we have these little boxes on stage that you can just we wear in ears, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So most of the time he's telling amazing jokes to you guys, amazing that only you can hear. Yeah, that's great. He crushes everybody in the like, <laughs> you know. I I, I fancy myself a, a humorist. Yeah. A jokester, a jokester, but he's yeah, he crushes me. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's like hey, let's play. Uh, you just call it. You call it on the fly. Yeah, that's great. Because mm-hmm. you do a lot of covers too. I noticed. Um, we do. We do like the uh, Layla thing in, the, in November Rain, and, mm-hmm. and before that is a, a piece of Wish You Were Here, Live and Let Die, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah Knock yeah, on yeah. Heaven's Door. Yeah, there's a couple ACDC tunes now. We we will. Yeah. Yeah, Angus has come out with us. That's great. We're, if we're near where Angus is, he'll come up. Did you go see uh, uh, Axel when he sang? A couple his, times. What a, he killed it, man. He killed it. I love that. Yeah. I thought he did so great. Yeah, it was, uh, Slash and I flew to London with our ladies That's and right. surprised him. Oh, did you? Yeah. That's cool. See, that's cool. You got that camaraderie. Mm-hmm. Just You know what I mean? I'm sure you appreciated that to see you guys there. Yeah, he was, you know... I mean, think about it. I've I've gone and played with a bunch of other bands, and so Slash has played with so mm-hmm. many other artists. And Axel never really got the chance to do that. Right? And this was like he went and tried out the, the whole thing. You know, really? he was super nervous because that's a, that's another level too. Like that's ACDC. It's ACDC, right? And and Bond is his guy. So it was a big. So when he left to go try out, you know, he came. That's he's like, oh, man, I don't know. Like, dude, you you have it. <laughs> oh, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm just going to go try out and, and just yeah. go see, you know. And we knew he had it. But you uh, have to think, like, I, I would almost wonder, like, if Angus Young even knows who Guns N' Roses is. You know what I mean? Like, he's so, like, it's <clears throat> Angus, right? Like, yeah. Guns N' Roses? Which one are they? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. But I, I, you said something perfect I loved about it was when Brian Johnson sang the Bond songs, he did a great job. But he did it because I think that's part of his gig. Mm-hmm. Axel, I think, embodies the spirit of Bond Scott yeah. and is a Bond guy. So those Bond songs have a whole new life with him singing them. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's the one thing I loved about seeing AC, uh, ACDC was it's like having the, the reincarnation of Bond Scott yeah. with the swagger and like the danger. Yeah. You know, it was really, really cool. Yeah. You know, it was fun, fun to watch. Yeah. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So I saw him in London. Then I went to um, Cleveland and saw him do it Somewhere. again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Last couple of questions. Did you, um, uh, being a Seattle guy, were you pretty? Were you buds with Chris Cornell? Yeah. Yeah. What, what a drag! I saw him two days before he passed away at a festival in northern Wisconsin or someplace like that. But yeah, just like the total shock, man. Like the Seattle, the Seattle scene, man. There's some, Crazy yeah, shit there, I, you know? I, um, I really have no words for that. Um, yeah. My daughter, May, and his daughter, Lily, were born two weeks apart. Oh, wow. And I was in, we, Susan and I, we were in Seattle then. And, and um, so Susan Silver and my Susan were pregnant at the same time. Mm. And, and we 
hung out a bunch when the girls were little babies and and um and then audio slaves started when velvet revolver right. started and we played gigs with them and, same you know, vibe too both both of your bands and, same vibe. and then start yeah. a new band mm-hmm. the super group thing right yeah yeah with wyland as well mm-hmm. it's amazing how that scene i talked to Corey taylor about this wyland chris cornell lane staley yeah andrew wood it's like all of these Kurt Cobain, you know what I mean? It's like all of the guys from that era have all have all gone, you know. So um, those guys are all my age, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, man. The the more it happens with, with Chris was was shocker, you know. Um, I've had little touches of depression in the last seven eight years. Came out of nowhere. I'm not that guy, mm-hmm. but I've had panic disorder since i was 16 and they always said that's a s- subset of depression hmm. i'm like well i don't have depression mm-hmm. i have panic attacks mm. here and there like in the weirdest places ever and, and i've learned to deal with them i know i'm not gonna you know i learned by the time i was 20 i'm not gonna die from a panic mm-hmm. attack you feel like you're going to so like when i was about 40 what five years about five years ago i was in a movie theater with my wife susan we went to the movies and my, my seat sunk down five feet in the middle of the movie. And I looked around. I thought something happened to the theater. Hmm. Like there was an earthquake. But was no, I had like an attack of depression. Hmm. And my, just a feeling of moroseness. Hmm. And if I couldn't live like that. We got out of the theater and I'm, I'm shaking and I'm, I think, you know, uh, it's hard to explain what yeah, I felt yeah, like, yeah, but, yeah. uh, um, she drove me home. We got my friend came over. We got somebody else on the phone, and um, it was depression. It's like it was depression, and uh, it passed. And then I went and saw some people about it, and uh, I had a couple more of those mm. episodes. But I, what I sometimes I think I get things so I can write about it because, like you, I'm a writer. Mm-hmm. Like okay, now I've experienced that. I wrote a, a column about depression, and because I know now about it. Mm-hmm. I don't have chronic depression, but I've had attacks. Mm-hmm. So if, if my point is, if Chris Chester or you know anybody that see like if there was depression involved, then all bets are off. I can't. Mm. I'm not going to judge him anyhow. No, no, no. I've been in and out of you know alcohol and drug addiction, and I got it all. Mm. You know, so um, I can't. I'm not one to judge. Mm. But uh, if if there was depression involved, then it's a real thing. It's a yeah. real thing because I understand when I sunk down into that five feet down in that movie theater, I couldn't live like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you couldn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You it's, can't breathe. You can't eat. You can't. You know, you're all your body function like just go. Yeah, you have no control. Mm-hmm. And I'm a strong dude. You know, like I think positive and I apply a lot of principles to my life and through martial arts and through stuff. And I can see and deal with shit, bad shit, you know, and good shit mm-hmm. and be a dad and be all, you know, those things that, that I, I rise to cause I love it. But when I had the depression, I couldn't be any of those things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I couldn't be anything. Right, right, right. Yeah. Like you said, it's a, it's a real thing, but uh, okay. Last question. Okay. Knock, knock. Okay. Who's there? Little old lady. Little old lady who? I didn't know you could yodel. Wow. <laughs> hey. Oh, what? Knock, knock. Who's there? Minnow. Minnow who? 
Oh, yeah. If you got a better knock-knock joke, let me know. <laughs> Dude, thank you so much, man. Okay. Okay, see you. Bye. <laughs> I think I'm the only guy that can go toe-to-toe with Duff McKagan on knock-knock jokes. Uh, great guy. He actually sent me a joke today, and I'll read it uh, to you. Duff's joke says, what's the difference between a peeping Tom and a pickpocket? One snatches your watch. Yeah, think about that one. Duff and I exchanging uh, brutal jokes and, more importantly, exchanging another great conversation. Duff is such a great guest. What a great guy. One of my favorite people on the planet. And... And what a huge coup that he granted his one and only long-term, uh, full-length interview with Talk is Jericho ever since the uh, Guns N' Roses reunion. Thanks again to Duff to talk about Appetite for Destruction and the reunion tour and Axl Rose and Angus Young and everything else. Uh, Guns N' Roses spent the summer playing stadiums, and now they're moving the show indoors this fall with a round of arena dates. GunsNRoses.com has all the dates and ticket info. And I'll tell you what, if you haven't seen the show, go. They are on fire. Uh, they were amazing in Winnipeg when I saw them later on that night amazing in edmonton they played a glenn campbell cover they played a james brown cover all the songs sound great the chemistry is great axel singing amazing and duff told me off the air that this is the best tour uh, he's ever been on and they're having so much fun and hopefully there'll be some new music at that point so uh, uh let's just wait and see what happens but go see uh, guns and roses they are unbelievable and speaking of unbelievable how about more unbelievable news headlines as only team tiger awesome can deliver them this is the news with Team Tiger Awesome. In time travel paradox news, our story editor Gary recently traveled back in time to see if it was possible to kill his own grandfather. Gary left on his journey before he wrote an ending to this segment, so best of luck, Gary, and more on this story as it develops. In crazy mystery news, a random human named Gary, whom nobody has ever heard of, ceased to exist yesterday. Authorities aren't really baffled and had no comment. And now a look at the monkey business report. They are bankrupt again. On a call with shareholders, CFO Pickles said they simply overestimated the market while carrying too large an inventory. Outside analysts, meanwhile, say they're monkeys. They mean well, but, I mean, come on. They're monkeys. For more upsettingly silly news, listen to the Team Tiger Awesome show every Sunday on the Jericho Network, right here on Podcast One. That's right. Start every Sunday morning with a laugh. The Team Tiger Awesome Show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to leave them a five-star rating and review as well. Leave all the Jericho Network Podcasts five-star ratings and reviews at Apple Podcasts. Killing the Town with Storm and Cyrus. They go and debate uh, about the uh, sexy star uh, controversy. She's banned from Talk is Jericho for life. And also they uh, filmed a little bit of a live performance as they opened up the show for the Words of Jericho show in Winnipeg that Duff was going to come to. I had tickets reserved for him, but he couldn't make it. But uh, that's going to be this week on Storm and Cyrus, Killing the Town, Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. This week he's talking to Slim Jim Phantom and Tracy Guns from L.A. Guns. Raven Effect, uh, so funny, uh, in-depth conversations with Raven and Busby Berkeley talking about the current wrestling scene, which Raven has not been familiar with. He's getting back into it. And, of course, Keeping It 100 with Conan, my favorite show of the week. Uh, check that out. And then, of course, Beyond the Darkness, get your paranormal fix every weekday with brand-new episodes five days a week. And Dave and Tim also do uh 
True Crime Tuesday. You can get that by signing up at Patreon.com for five bucks a month. You get a new episode every Tuesday, and they're all commercial free. No commercials. Sign up now at Patreon.com for some true crime stories that will chill your blood. Thank you for listening, and another thank you to all the Sexy Beast Talk is Jericho sponsors uh, and all of you for supporting the great sponsors that uh, make this uh, 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 free twice a week and make it possible for me to do this show. I'm talking about Leah Remini, uh, Scientology in the Aftermath. Watch new episodes every Tuesday at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, 9 and 8. Don't miss it. It is, like I said, it's, uh, wow, it is uh, chilling, this show. Uh, I'm really addicted to it. FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com, F-A-N-D-U-E-L. Use my promo code Jericho to play for free with no deposit. DDP Yoga. Go to DDPYoga.com slash Jericho. Get 25% off the DDP Yoga DVDs and all DDP swag. UFC 215 this Saturday, September 9th. That's live from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And, of course, get your new or used car from True Car. Go do it now. Thank you for listening. Keep listening for the 60-second AP News headlines coming up next and coming up this Friday. Nick Santo is going to be here. He is amazing. Why is he amazing? He's a bodybuilder. He's a drummer. He wrestled in high school. He's a motivational speaker. Oh, and by the way, he's got one arm with one finger and no legs. It is an incredible story from Nick Santos. Inspiration. I was lucky enough to sit down with him in Tampa, Florida, and hear his inspirational story. He was born with no legs uh, and one arm with one finger. Okay? You think you got a bad day? You think you got problems to overcome? Wait till you hear the inspirational, incredible story of Nick Santos this Friday on Talk is Jericho. You're going to dig him, I promise. Uh, so check it. Stay tuned for that. Go crank up some Guns and Roses. And in the meantime and in between time, stay hard. Stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs, and a big yeah, boy. And go eat some almonds as well. Listen to new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday on the Podcast One app. Or subscribe at Apple Podcasts or PodcastOne.com.